The Parkinson Spiegel Show. If y'all ready, give me a hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Your 16th favorite baseball player. Number 16. Lucas Giolito. Lucas Giolito. 2018. Worst pitcher in baseball. I'm a little surprised that some of the people on the text line find that to be such a polarizing selection. People can't divorce it from the moment. But he had something you couldn't see in the stats. This high? Yeah. I wouldn't even put him on the list. Well, that transformation is massive. That no-hitter was very emotional. Nobody could be at the ballpark, as Benetti said. And I remember that night, like, walking up really close to the TV and just trying to pretend to feel like you were at the ballpark. Well, that's weird. Granted. <laughs> Dan, you call it weird, app. but you have to consider Speaks is also the guy who literally waves at his television on the last day of baseball. <laughs> he waves goodbye to baseball. Yeah, also weird. Regular season. Also so that weird. shouldn't surprise you that he tries to put himself in it like the magic school bus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Seatbelts, everyone. Just trying to like, take in the glow of the TV. <laughs> I'm feeling the no-hitter vibe bit. Last night when you said they're here. Uh-huh. Well, who did you mean? Who's here? The TV people. All right. I do that with Casey Musgrave's music videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try to get as close as I can. Go up there and get as close as I can. I understand. T-minus five and counting. Four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, Casey Musgrave. Not sure which one's creepier. Most people write letters to movie stars. The Simpson guy writes to movies. Dear Die Hard, you rock, especially when that guy was on the roof. P.S. Do you know Mad Max? Come on, right on the magic school bus. One, two, three. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go, Tony. The Parkinson Spiegel Show, afternoons from 2 to 6 on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. Sometimes when a moment calls for it, a hero steps forward. And today that hero is Dan Bernstein. What did I do? He's finishing up, uh, what is it, your seventh hour? Eighth hour? I just didn't leave. It's not heroic to just not leave. No, I guess that's true. And radio, I'm going to say this part quietly. Radio isn't hard. It's it's just talking, (laughs) which I'd be doing anyway. No, what you're doing, and you have been here since 10. Well, I got here at 9. Okay. This is Danny Bernstein, uh, Jr. Danny Bernstein Jr. You're right. Has been here since... Uh, Who's the raging bull, Danny? Do you know? Greg Luzinski. You're right. I yeah, I know I'm right. <laughs> Let's have another beer. Greg Luzinski. Uh, that's who you're thinking at the time. This old man thinks I'm an idiot. I'm not well, an idiot. Like, I, I know that. Well, that's not the whole clip. How old are you there, by the way? 11? That's I think as, ten, 10 or 11. That's as old as my son is now. Wow. And the the actual, the what I actually said was, hey, he said, who's the raging bull? And I I said at first. Jake LaMotta. Well, I did say it's either Robert De Niro or Greg or Greg Luzinski. What a pompous little kid you were. <laughs> yeah. who, who are you talking about, Harry? Which one? That's good. I needed him to clarify. <laughs> Speaking of Harry Carey. What are we doing on March 29th, Speaks? Can't wait for our, our... We're being a part of the toast to Harry Carey. 
the worldwide toast to Harry Carey. We get to do it again, and this time it's going to be awesome. Can't wait. And listeners, come out and hang out with us at Navy Pier um, at Harry Carey's there, the Navy Pier location. Me and Danny will be there all afternoon. There's going to be incredible guests there. Ryan Sandberg will be part of things. Richard Dent is coming by. Sack machine. Sack machine. Is uh, Sandberg going to bring a big bag of weed for everybody? Boy, I hope so. And, uh, you know, I, Jeff Garland, I, Jeff Garland's coming. Joel Murray. Joel Murray's going to come. Um, Ron Kittle will be there. Uh, Dempster will be there. Ryan Dempster will be there. We're going to have a blast. And what's the purpose of it this year? It is to elect Harry Carey as mayor of Rush Street. I did not know whether that part was officially out or not. Yet. Better than Paul yeah, Vallis. Yeah, so. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I would vote for him. I don't know if it's better than Paul Vallis. I think, I think it is. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Tim yes. Bernsey on that. You guys love crime. Yeah. <laughs> No, I just love the schools, and you'd think the school guy would care more about the schools. Big fans of looting. Yeah, you think maybe actually taking care of the the despair and the inequities of the neighborhoods might also lower crime rather than just throwing money at police. One thing at a time. Hey, Shane, what were your favorite uh, of the, like, two months Paul Vallis has lived in the city over the last 30 years? Yeah, so I think when he went to Pizza Fried Chicken and Ice Cream, I think he loved that. Uh, When he went to Cindy's, you guys went to Cindy's Rooftop together, right? Saw the bean? That's my spot. That's my spot. It's my secret little spot here in Chicago. <laughs> that escalated quickly. Anyway, March 29th, we'll be at Harry Carey's on Navy Pier, and that's going to be really fun. All right, so Thursdays at 5 o'clock, for years on the score, was Who You Crappin'. And it was Bad. Dan Bernstein and Terry Bores. Before that, it was Dan McNeil and Terry Bores. And it was inspired by Mike Ditka, famously, who was upset that Terry Bores had asked him where the fire was. Because you're the same guy who used to talk about me when I did have the fire. One of the things, Mike, that's been pointed out over the course of today and last night after the game is that you seem resigned to the fate after the game, that there wasn't much fire in you, and you sort of stood up before the media and said, well, you know, this is the way it is. We uh, Are you resigned to this fate? Is well, you're, you're the same guy that wrote about me when I did have the fire, that that was the wrong thing to do. So who you crapping? Well, I'm just Don't asking. Don't no, 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 no. No, 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 no. And, of course, Jim Ursay was listening, uh, growing up in Lincolnwood or whatever, however old he was at the time. And uh, Who You Crappin', for those who may not have known, was about lying, catching people in a lie. More about hypocrisy. I, that ultimately, it's the, it came down to you're the same person who said this, and now you're trying to do or say this. Yes. Well, Shane found this. It is Mark DeRosa from just a couple of years ago. Because I told you yesterday in transition about Team USA manager Mark DeRosa. Hi, buddy! <laughs> Looking at Tim Anderson at the end of his first team meeting and saying, hey, I'm going to need the bat flip out of you. I want you to do the bat flip. And T.A. was like, I never had a manager tell me that before. And we celebrated that. Like, look at you, Mark DeRosa. Way to be. Way to be. And then this was unearthed. Mark DeRosa's, for some reason, standing on a coffee table at MLB's morning show. He would have 99 out of 100 guys' blessing to undress Tim Anderson the next time he came up. And if people have a problem with that, I have a problem with that. I'm in on let the kids play, but can someone tell the entire... If we're going to change everything, if we're going that route, then can someone tell the players... 
to all back each other because I get some guys on Twitter saying, I dig it. I get some guys on Twitter saying, I hate it. So if the moniker is we're going to change and we're going to let these kids play and Ken Griffey Jr. hat backwards, then all the players need to be on board and there needs to be stiffer punishments for throwing at someone, throwing behind them. Like, the lines are completely blurred right now. And I feel like Tim Anderson should have gotten hit in the tuchus and walked to first. He should have known it was coming. And as a former player, we don't want to sit here and sound old school, archaic, whatever the word is, the machismo thing. Too it's late. not about machismo. It's about respect for how hard it is to get here, stay here, grind here, Bottom line, Paul Konerko, game two, 2005 World Series. You hit a grand slam, you want to come out and dip that bat in gold, I'm in. Pesednik, walk-off game, 2005 World Series, dip it in gold, I'm in. Throw it through old Comiskey, it's guaranteed right now, whatever. Hey, buddy. Dude, <laughs> that's in the week after Tim Anderson's bat flip that started a culture war. Dude. Come on, first of all, you're from Passaic, New Jersey. You should know how to say Tuchus. <laughs> you know, you're not from Oklahoma. Hey, Bonte Hill's from San Francisco. He knows how to say Jorosa. <laughs> he, he knew how to give us Jorosa. We should ask for the recipe. How do you make it? Yeah. No raisins. <laughs> but, but, yes. wow. How about that? And hard. Do we went hard. He should get hit in the Tuchus. And wow! Walked it first. Come on now. And if you got a problem with that, I got a problem with that. I got a problem with you having a problem with me not having a problem with that. You got a problem with that? I mean, seriously, the guy sounds like he's like in a parking lot at a friendlies on a Friday night. <laughs> I thought it was the Bada Bing. I thought he was at the Bada Bing talking about it. Yeah, that's uh, that's a, that's a rough thing. Now, at the time. This is the reason that it, you know, reignited and kind of eventually led to the winning of a culture war because there were very there. It was still split, but right. it was nowhere near 50 50 at the time. I wonder, I'd love to play that for him and know what he what. Well, what, here's the thing. When he told Tim Anderson that he wants him to flip the bat. Here's T.A. talking about this from is it yesterday or the day before yesterday. So first of all. Mark DeRosa, who you crapping? Tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies. Tell you me. play with great energy. Uh, our friend Mark DeRosa, I hear, had a lot of energy when he addressed you guys yep. with that opening speech. Uh, what did you think of that speech? Uh, just great, man. Just, you know, he, he the guy you want. You know what I'm saying? He said, you know, bring the bat flips. But we remember when he said he didn't. <laughs> so I had to get him. I had to get him. But, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, he, he's starting to see it. And, you know, it, it, it's bringing a lot of excitement to the game. It's getting a lot more people into it. And uh, I think it's fun. Bring the bat flips. You said it, D-Rose. You said it. I'll send it back to you. Wow. So we put it to him. You make us wonder with the Hey, buddy. Maybe Hey, buddy. Who are you crapping? Oh, man, that's so good to hear again. All that stuff. Even though the segment never was any good. <laughs> it's not true. It, it was often very good. Occasionally, it would be good. My brother, who didn't like sports and has never liked sports, listened every week to Who You Crap. It did great numbers. It just wasn't very good. Uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of things about it were good except you. But that's... <laughs> 
that, that, that's I, me. I had some input I mean, and some and thoughts. I will say the day we were at McNally's. You read a couple 2,000-word emails. When, when we did. He still does that now. <laughs> when we did the championship. All right, we are looking for a big finish on who you're crapping. He's done reading. It is up to <laughs> He's done reading. There's so many moments. And I said, at one point, I said, no one can close out who you're crapping like Quad City Pat. And we put Pat up, and he proceeded to just stumble all over himself. And, 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 and Terry's giving me a look like, well, you were right. But the, the day at McNally's when Gary from Evanston won the, the title, and, and everyone knew, like, the, the, the coronation of Gary from Evanston and how meaningful it was to him. Mm. And the one he unearthed for the finals, the fact, and, and, and I think we have it somewhere. It's, it, it, it's, it, it was an obscure bonanza reference to which he took some kind of righteous umbrage and uh. the crowd went crazy. I had, I had tears streaming down my face, just laughing and, and enjoying it so much. And That's it was like, awesome. oh, it was the best day. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, I, I I agree with the texture says it was always good even when it was bad. I, I guess. Because like it, it's like a Johnny Carson monologue joke. When it was bad, he would lean into the fact that it was bad and have a little extra pause and give it a, that little extra level of irony. I also think it was familiar, and I do think that there was something about 5 o'clock on a Thursday that made you feel like your your work yes, week was coming to an yes, end. Yes, yeah. exactly. Associated with all of that. Um, so, and it's funny because uh, just like many of the callers at the beginning of this, I didn't get the bit. <laughs> I um, did. Well, you're still beyond black physicist. <laughs> you're, you're, I'll still I'll slot you on, on my list that I'll put together. I'll, like, I'll, I'll slot you in above black physicist when like it comes when, to uh, getting the bit. When black physicist used to call Doug Buffone, that's some of my favorite stuff. <laughs> yes. Of all time, it's very, it's very special, and we all miss Doug Buffone. Even you, who, not black business. Yeah, we, don't. <laughs> we don't miss him. Probably not. But you'd put up on the call screener if you're a producer. All right, here's a black. And, and he physicist. thought it would be like black calling from physicists. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, pretty much. Clock to uh, black. I don't know where you're from, black, but you're on the air. <laughs> Best who you crap in memory. It's like five oh three. There's one call and it sucks and the person doesn't get the bit and then he's done. You know, saying like you know whatever he says and you just hear Bernstein's mouse <laughs> in the background looking for an email or something to save the segment and then Maddie angrily exits the phones. <laughs> Close the phones out just so you guys would struggle even more. Yep. Oh my god. <laughs> It's like, it's like uh, I'm, not, I'm not taking any more calls. Oh Screw God! This. Uh. <laughs> All right, so so Derosa now says that his kid loves when Tim Anderson flips the bat. His kid loves it. So, is it a who you crapping? If his thoughts on the thing have actually evolved, or is it evolution? <laughs> Seriously, though, yes. it strikes me. I'm David Attenborough, and today we examine <laughs> is it who you're crapping or is it evolution? Now, obviously, it is who you're crapping. And DeRosa, you said that. It's but both. It's good. Yes, it is both. The culture wars have been won. And, it, you know, if Bud Norris was managing this team, he'd probably be okay with Tim Anderson flipping about as well. Don't bet on it.
No. Not Bud Norris. Maybe not Bud Norris. Then, then Tony Larusa comes out and has to declare whether or not it's sincere. Oh my God. Yeah. And Rocco Baldelli agrees with Tony. It, but but it is it is nice, and the and TA said it right there. It's like we've come a long way. It's not even a freaking issue. It's just fun. We did an interview with the head coach of Vanderbilt baseball talking about culture and talking about why other countries seem to be better at enjoying baseball than Americans. And he with without he was a very simple answer. Parents. He said many of these kids in other countries aren't burdened by their parents at games. Hmm. From the youngest ages and even later on, that they when they play, it's just them. Huh. He said, "You get rid of the parents, the joy comes back." That that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, we we've I think we've got it in there. You but know, he's, he's wonderful talking it, about it. But if you've spent any time in one of these countries where baseball is, you know, so vibrant and so essential, I I. I think the fact that the people are who they are comes first. Like the Dominican culture that I was immersed in for six days in January and another six days last January and sought out baseball in various forms. Aside from the baseball experiences, the people were just awesome. Mm -hmm. Just completely joyful, looking to have a good experience. Um you know, nobody was too stressed. Nobody was working too hard, frankly, on stuff. But nobody was worried that other people weren't working hard. Like, there was, like, a construction crew in the middle of a street totally holding up traffic and creating a massive bottleneck. But nobody in the cars or walking around, it seemed to give a crap. It's just like, all right, do it as best you can and do it as fast as you can. And that culture of happiness, which defeats ours in a lot of ways for whatever reason translates to the baseball too it doesn't make for a great economy but i mean doesn't really that's kind of suffer in that regard no but, it's true yeah, but, it's true but, but but i i totally get it and and when they play they're playing and they're not necessarily on a $7,500 a year travel team with all of their embroidered bags and monogrammed you know, garment bags with their uniforms in it. And and all that pressure to maximize your potential and pressure to make the most of this opportunity oh, they, that mommy and daddy are giving you. No, some have some of that pressure, but it's, it's, it's to get their parents a roof over their head. Sure, right. But when they play, when they're actually playing, the joy of they don't playing. necessarily feel it. Yeah, no. It, it, and here we've true. got we've got a bunch of sour-faced American kids trying to please their parents out there. Yeah, it's interesting, and and well, that's why some of the kids, some of the American players who love it and feel it and embrace it, are some of the most fun American players too. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's instructive every time the World Baseball Classic comes along with that. But you have been got, Mark DeRosa, but you're still okay with him, right? Oh, cool. I love Mark DeRosa. Are you kidding? Yeah, me too. Oh, he's great. Yeah. And he he would have a sense of humor about it. Of course he would. And I'm sure he did as he was talking to T.A. about it. And T.A. fires back, and I'm sure DeRosa loves it's it. It's just, it's so, it's a little discordant for me. Anytime I hear a New Jersey accent in in the sort of the baseball milieu, because it, that sounds like, he sounds like basketball. Hmm. 
That's what basketball sounds like. He sounds like that. That's, like Pat Kennedy like talking Donovan to Paul or, Recruits. Yeah, like that. That accent, Rick Pitino and those guys. Like that. That's that's a basketball sound. It just and I don't mind it because that's what I love about Cooper. Because yeah. John Cooper, you get the, the the rule is you get that Bayonne jersey, like working class jersey accent. Mm. It, it, with Greg Olson, it comes through a little bit in the football. I think he's from Wayne. Right, I think so. Where Stacy's mom has got it going on. Um, um, the uh, Mark DeRosa, by the way, spoke to Coach K to get a little advice about coaching a dream team, as he has all these guys. As well, a I think the advice would be, regardless of what you're doing, make it all about yourself, and just make sure that no matter what, the attention and the money is yours, regardless of anything else. It has to be about aggrandizing your brand. Let's talk about managers and culture and the White Sox, but also not just the White Sox. In fact, my favorite manager gets discussed as part of this context next on 670 The Score. All right, Stephen Kwan, so were you guys gunning for the Sox? I mean, you're gunning for every team in the division, but was it something more special when you could beat a team like the Sox, a team that was expected to win the division? Yeah, I would say so. I think especially because we had a lot of media around us that always shoved in our face that the Sox were the ones that were going to get us, um, that was going to get everybody. So I definitely think uh, it it was interesting and cool to play against a team that talented. Stephen Kwan of the Cleveland Guardians there on the Sox Talk Podcast. That's some very dry shade being thrown there. Oh, yeah. Good yeah. player. Really good player. Really man. good player. You know, his teammate was in college. His roommate was in college. Nick Madrigal? Roommates. So much contact in that dorm room. Yeah, one, of them, right? one of them can play. <laughs> but Nicky's playing third base. That little popcorn arm is just not going to work. If, if what they're saying about David Bodie is is true, then Bodie's that guy and not Madrigal. Yeah, Bodie's having a, a very, very good spring. As a non-roster invitee. Mm-hmm. So Madrigal's rostered. I don't I so I would think there's only one spot there. I would I would think that 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 Nick Madrigal and Leori Garcia both have a very hard time of making their teams. Fine. This particular spring. Fine. I would love. I would say to, to Leori, thank you for a decade of service. Yep. Being a good soldier and a good dude and doing anything that is asked of you, but Tony's no longer here, so neither are you. So um Chuck Garfine talked to a few different members of the Cleveland Guardians, and he talked to Brian Shaw, who used to be a member of the Cleveland Guardians. Um, and now Brian Shaw is trying to make the White Sox, but the conversation around the White Sox is of course so much about the manager and you and I have talked about managers together and apart for decades. And we just watched this, this colossal abuse of power by Jerry Reinsdorf to give his organization in the middle of its winning window to an energy vampire that brought virtually nothing to the table um, other than his Hall of Fame ring that he wore on his hand. So now that's changed, and you'll hear a very important player from Pedro Grifol's past talk about him right now. But the guy, or in a moment, but the guy who's been my favorite manager for a long time continues to be my favorite manager, and that's Terry Francona 
of Cleveland. I just think he's the best. I think he thinks about all the numbers and he knows it all and he's open to absolutely everything in that regard. He still has a gut. It's kind of a prodigious one that he trusts and utilizes. He gets along with people. He works to get along with people. He works on the chemistry, works on the room, and is just a a terrific and insightful leader. And Brian Shaw, the pitcher now in White Sox camp, says Terry's a huge reason why he kept going back to Cleveland. Brian Shaw, what is it about the Guardians and how they played last season? It seemed like from spring training on, they just knew what they wanted to do when you guys went out and did it. Um, I think a lot of it was the the amount of young guys that we had. Um, they you know had that hunger, they had that drive, um, and they never backed down. Basically, I mean you know we had I think I want to say like 17 guys made their debut last year for us. Um, you know, and I think it, it started obviously with Tito and the coaching staff instilling on the young guys like you know make an impact, do what you can, work hard every day, do what you got to do. Um, you know to get here and to be here and to stay here. It's about playing as a team, right? Why were they so good at playing as a team together? I, honestly, I think it starts with Tito. You know, I think a lot of the guys, you know, Tito trusts, has faith, you know, does everything he does, you know, knowing the group of guys that he has. And we as players, you know, when you have a manager like that, that is so, you know, player driven and wants the best for each guy and wants, you know, all of these things, it, it makes it easier to play as a team and play together to want to win for him and for the organization when the organization is that, you know, close knit, you know, that, that, you know, that group of, you know, you know Antonetti Chernoff, you know, up the top, the Dolans, you know, everybody is, you know, family oriented. Everyone is, you know, community. Everybody is all about the team, all about everything. And so I think that the, you know, Starting from the very top, you know, it trickles its way down to the players, you know, and I think that's just the way that organization is kind of run and the way the organization is, you know, kind of talked about to the players and the players want to, you know, be a part of that and do what they can to help that. So this new coaching staff's trying to build some of that here. Are you kind of feeling that unity here? Uh, you know, you've only been here for whatever, a few weeks. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I haven't met all the coaches, uh, you know, fully yet. Or, you know, obviously, we've talked a little bit here and there, but not, I haven't really got to know too many of them. But it seems like at least the clubhouse from the player standpoint, you know, they're they're a good good group so far. Um, everybody's, you know, pulling for everybody. Everybody wants everybody to succeed, obviously. And, you know, it, it's been fun in there so far with all of them, um, you know, being around those guys. And it seems like they're all, you know, pulling for the same thing, you know, trying to have that same drive, same mission um, going forward. So it, it should be interesting to see if we can keep that up. Um, but it's like I said, so far, it seems pretty good. Do you think, Bernsey, that there is uh, an understanding in our town among our baseball fans of the importance of uh, of creating what Francona has created and continues to maintain there? Do people understand what that is? Well, I, I think we refer to it as tone setting. Atmosphere providing. Yes, I I do think people, I I don't know that everybody could articulate exactly what the concept of it is, but I do think there's an understanding of it. I really do. I I think people sort of grok it, whether or not (laughs) they could could list this moment or that moment or this drill or or when you're posting things or when you're, what you're exactly asking. But Mm -hmm. I, I think it's unquestionable that there's an innate awareness of the significance 
of a big league manager, whether or not we try to boil it down to three games here or four games here or how many late and close decisions get made and how. I, I There was such pushback on it sometimes in talking about Tony. And there has been such pushback on it at different times. Well, look, it's on the players. Yeah. And, and it is on the players. But like Joe Kelly's quote in the Nightingale piece the other day about Tony, like every, it was so easy for everybody to blame Tony. Like we just weren't holding each other accountable. And I, and I wanted to scream at him. That's the manager's oh, job listen, to make you hold each other you, accountable. You have to read the piece that Jim Margulis wrote for Sox Machine where – it's brilliant. First of all, he coined a term, and I'm just beating myself up for, for not being the person who thought of this. Nightwashing. Anytime Bob Nightingale <laughs> swoops in to put Jerry Reinsdorf's spin on something, yes. he, he coined the term nightwashing. And then he, he said, when you read that piece the first time, yeah. it comes off as not Tony's fault, not Tony's fault, not Tony's fault. But... He said, if you really pay attention to what people are saying, uh-huh. it makes the case you're describing 100%. for an absolute abdication of managerial responsibility or or attention. There was no one there None. paying attention. There was no one there. Correct. And, and, and that, it's like we talk about sometimes when we criticize the Bulls and we say, you know, where we're Billy Donovan's like, well, you know, we devolved into one-on-one stuff again. And Who's that we, on, right, Billy? Like, come on, Billy, call time out, tell him to stop. Yeah, it's yeah, your job. Yeah. And, and in the same case, and the, and, and what Margulis wrote was the quotes paint, an, paint a picture of an absence of managerial power responsibility right. intention presence gravity and and not to mention with all the nice things that are being said about pedro grafol mm-hmm. it's like yeah. yeah 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 and it's just a freaking baseline it's the baseline of what you do and then you see if your players are any good you know but like it's the baseline it's how you do this it's so obvious um, here's terry francona from inside the clubhouse Last year, I think, right, or maybe a couple years ago. No, yeah, it was right after he won Manager of the Year. This this past off. Season. Oh, it was this past off season after he won Manager of the Year. Talking about his philosophy, how he does things. Yeah, you know, Bruce, what's what's kind of cool about our game is there's a lot of different ways to do things, and everybody has their own way of what they think is right. Um, but I think, and you know, not every player has gone to an Ivy League school. But saying that, if you're not true to yourself. They can see right through it in a, in a second. So we just try to be really honest with the players. We try to ask them things that, although might be a big ask, it's not unfair. Like, you know, again, they're young. Okay, we'll be young. Enjoy being young. But these are the things in the game that we care about and we need to do. And, and we try to remind them without beating them over the head. But, again, I come back to how special that group was. When you told those guys something once, man, it got done. And, and that's rewarding, and that feels good because guys are going to make mistakes, but when they don't make them again, uh-huh. boy, that makes you feel good. And, Bruce, you've been around me long enough to know I don't want our guys going from point A to point B because I put a sign on. I want them to feel the freedom to play the game aggressively you know, while being intelligent and, and not have to put on a lot of signs because that's how I think teams play the best. And our guys did a great job of that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's awesome. You know what it's, that sounds like the way Steve Kerr set up their offensive system, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where 
you don't see him standing up and calling a play. You don't see him waving his arms and pointing. He mostly sits hmm. because he built a system where there are certain expectations in situations to read and react and to know who your teammates are and know the, the personnel defensively. Read the scouting report. Yeah. Know what we're doing, and he trusts them to do it. So and it, he had a pretty special group of people to do that with. Right, but, but it's so interesting because it's allowing freedom. It's allowing freedom and autonomy and independence while also expecting accountability. And right? it's, it's hard to get there. It's hard to build because either you don't have the guys, either you don't have the talent to, to or, or the instincts to understand but some of this stuff. you also got to communicate a ton on the front end to get there. You have to build a culture like that. And expecting a guy with as little energy as Tony had and then and clearly had to build any sort of culture? When they said in that, he needed daily naps yeah. and they could barely hear his voice. Yeah. like It's insane. It, it is insane to allow it's leadership preposterous. like that. Yeah. And it was. And we, we said it the moment we thought it might actually be happening. We all called it. We all said it. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it ended up being worse even than we thought. Yeah. You know, one guy that I've thought a lot about whenever I think about Pedro Grafol is Salvador Perez, the great catcher from Kansas City and in a really important relationship for Grafol. And Ned Yost was the one who had told us, told me and Danny about – um, how sometimes they would go days without talking to each other. And, and it was like, what, huh? And we followed up on that a little. And then Shane followed up in a great bourbon and a buddy with Pedro Grafol, um, and followed up with him. And he talked about how, you know, that Grafol, as, as a parent in that situation, would let Salvador Perez be angry and wrong. And he was angry, but Grafol thought he was wrong. He's like, okay. See, uh, so you can be angry, and they wouldn't talk for days, sometimes a week, sometimes more. And then Grafol would know it was over when Salvi came up to him, gave him a hug or a kiss, and said, okay, all right, I get it. So he, he had the patience to let him stay angry and not communicate and still win the battle. Well, because, what, like you say, from a, from a parental standpoint, the best lessons that are taught are ones where – the the pupil learns on their own and can can figure it out on yep. their own and you don't ha- it's not didactic yep. you don't have to say this is how it's done and this is what we do where you just put you make sure the environment is such that the person is able to learn it themselves yes and and if they need to hate you while they're doing that so, so be, it. be it so be it you'll, so be you'll, it you'll, you'll figure it out yeah you'll figure it out and you'll have time and they'll recover and I think about that as a parent um, but Salvi. Loves nobody in baseball like he loves Pedro Grafal. And Salvador Perez was on Sox Talk and talked about the new White Sox manager. He's going to be one of the best managers in the game. You think he'll be one of the best managers in the game. Why do you say that? I mean, you just kind of explain it, but there's a difference between a good manager and one of the best managers in the game. The relationship he's going to have with the player, I think it's going to be amazing. That's the key. When people care about you as a a manager, that guy gives everything for me, so let me give you everything I have for him. You know, they're going to play hard for him. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to they're gonna understand the okay, he's protecting me. He cared about me. He asked me about my family and all that. Let me give me. I think the, the way that I'm going to pay him is give everything I have on the field. You know, and, and I think that's a big key as a manager. And he has that. It sounds like communication, Sorry. leadership, culture. 
I think the culture is got to be, but I think the communication is the key. That's what I think as a personal. Uh, I think it's communication. And he got that. He likes to talk. He likes to listen to the other person. That, and not too many managers do that, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I love that. Really likes to talk and listen. And it's funny. Shane, even just uh, uh, the conversation with you, he's listening to you and completely tuned in and actually paying attention and giving a crap about the conversation. He's an incredible communicator. Yeah, I mean, he and I had talked one time for like four minutes during his introductory press conference, like right after it, and it felt like I was talking to an old friend. Right? He's an incredible communicator. Engaged. Engaged. Engaged is the right word for it. It's, it's so rare that you talk to someone, and when you're talking, they're making eye contact with you and like returning the the, the sentiment, right? Yeah. And he's that kind of person. I could I, I could see why people like him so much. Be, right. Being present in a moment is one of the biggest challenges anybody has all the time now. It's true, um, and it's also the baseline for true management and leadership of people. It really is. Like you want to get any respect, you want to have them do anything and give a crap. They have to feel like you're actually paying attention and not perhaps napping. Uh, 670, the score is where you are. If you want to gar- uh, throw a question in for one last thing, you can do it right now. Got a couple of minutes with Dan Bernstein and your questions when we come back on 670, the score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. Been a long four hours. Afternoons on the score. Just one more thing, please. I thought you had a clock to punch. I do. I'm leaving right now. It's time for One Last Thing. Let's let someone else ask a couple questions. I just want to ask you. And then we'll come back to you. One question. How about that? Let's let everybody else and we'll come back to you. Ask any question. I just want to ask you. For anyone on the show. Then I can figure out who I want to answer to. I don't need your help with that. I just want to ask you. One question. Does anyone else have another question first? I got a question. All right. I just want to ask you. Thank you. One question. One Last Thing with Parkinson Spiegel on 670 The Score. Uh, we like to end the show with your questions. It's how we put a bow on it. We uh, ask you, you send them in. Shane reads them and asks them. Shane, what do we got? <laughs> <laughs> From Doug in Evergreen Park. For Dan, I've always thought that you and Speaks would have been a great pairing, even with some of the heated transitions back in the day. Do you think you two would have worked as a show? Sure. Why not? I don't know how Bono would be as a driver. Uh, I guess pretty good. Got it. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think it would. Of course, it would have worked. Why not? Uh, I, we, we we like doing shows together. It probably would have worked worked better when I liked you less. I, I would say not just. I, it's not despite some of those transitions. I would say because of it. Correct. I, I, I would say you need a little bit of that of that frisson. In, in a in a relation professional radio relationship, yeah, um, I think that's true. Um, Danny and I have some of that, obviously. Do you and Lawrence have some of that? Does that come out once much? in a while? Oh, he was. He, you hear the end of the show yesterday? <laughs> oh, when he said when oh, he, he left, he, he did me up. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, absolutely. Was, it was strong. it was good. Um, but yeah, I think that would have worked. Three one two, Dan. How have you evolved as a person since you joined the score? <laughs> since I joined the score, I was 25. Yeah, so how, how have you evolved? In, in, in the last 28 years? Sure. I think... I think uh, he grew opposable uh, I, thumbs. I, I think, I think uh, getting married and having and raising children, <laughs> I think, as I, I would like to think, has given me a different perspectives on, on life and, and helped me gain new uh, empathies and... Uh, abilities to understand the world. You're right. 
Uh, from Jake in Kingston, what's everyone having for dinner tonight before you guys do your end of the show Malort shot? Yeah, we are going to do an end of the show Malort shot. I'm very excited about that. Um, I don't know what I'm going to have for dinner. I, 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 I haven't decided yet. How about you? Are you I, 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 we, we got in the way of your Mariano's run. I, I, I'm completely thrown off because I haven't even communicated with, with Beth and Jason. I don't know if I'm cooking. I don't know if they've already done something. Wow. So I'm flying blind you right now. You should try to use your phone and communicate with them sometime during a break. Could have done that. Today. Yeah, I don't like to bother him at baseball practice. Oh, yeah, and they're fair. just finishing up, probably, and she's yeah. usually in meetings in the afternoon. I don't know. What is your long, rambling non answers? I don't know. I think. Tanny, Shane, I, what are you guys I, having for dinner? What are you having? Uh, I'm going to make cacio e pepe tonight, I think. Oh, so simple, yeah. so easy. Just yeah. three ingredients. Might as well. It's much easier to make your own. It is. I got leftover meatballs from uh, Rinaldi's yesterday. Hey, meatballs, yeah. the protein boys. All right, take your Lord shot. Here we go. Make sure you're looking at the camera when you do it. My first one ever. Really? Yes. It's your right. first Malort shot. I'm toasting to you working the double, and uh, it's for Wani as well. L'chaim. L'chaim. Ooh, yeah, that's... Uh... That's not... That aftertaste is horrific. <laughs> yeah. that, I mean... That yeah. is a ridiculous yeah. and inappropriate, uh-huh. unwelcome aftertaste. It is. But it's so damn good. It's going to linger for a while. It tasted fine as it happened. But that is that is freaking hideous. It's right yeah. up my alley. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I wish I'd poured mine right up your alley <laughs> no, instead hoy. of drinking it. <laughs> That's pretty good, though. Ugh. No, it's not. Ugh. All right, thank you to our wormwood for you. <laughs> thank you to our guests. Get some hair in your chest on the show. Sam Munson from Pro Football Focus. Bonte Hill scared the crap out of him. Yeah, thanks a lot for that, oh by the way. God. Mike McGlinchey, <laughs> possible future bear and future disappointment. And Dave Wanstead was also on the show. Thank you to Dan Bernstein for working the double. This was really fun. Thank you to Kevin Lapka and Kevin O'Donnell for doing. Connor O'Donnell. Oh. Are you calling everybody Kevin today? <laughs> Dude, I did my first shot of Malort. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you had I Kevin McGlinchey, and now you have Kevin Lapkin and, and Kevin O'Donnell. Kevin O'Donnell and Kevin Tannehill for making us sound better. And I guarantee you there's a Kevin Tannehill. And Kevin Reardon as well. There's um, definitely one of those two. Uh, Cubs and White Sox tomorrow. So me and Danny will be with you after that game tomorrow on 670 The Score. Have a great night, everybody. Hey, Twitter world, is me, yours truly. In any event, it's done. It's over now. <laughs> Down goes Murdoch. I'm just saying. Take care.